Thank you for listening to the Potter's House Tri-Cities Podcast, located here in Pasco, Washington, where lives are still being changed for Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoy it. chapter 21. That looks more like it. Right. just want to read a quick story. There was a man named Russell Hernan. Um, he was 67 years old when he died in 1994. Um, does, anybody know what a, does everybody know what a will is? You know, you see there's a will that you, that, you, um, that you write. His will included a staggering set of requests, um, including Included in his plan or in his will, um, there was a plan for distribution um, that was more than $2 billion for the city of East St. Louis, um, another billion and a half for the state of um, Illinois, uh, $2.5 billion for the national forest system. And to top off the list, Herman left $6 trillion to the government to help pay off the national debt. And in your mind, you should be thinking to yourself, why haven't I heard this, the name of this man? Why hasn't it become famous? Why haven't I heard him on the news? Sounds amazing. Sounds amazingly generous, but there was a small problem. And that is that Russell Hernan's only asset when he died was a 1983 automobile that did not run. That was the only thing he owned. That was the only thing that he had under his name. And here you have a man who made grand pronouncements and grand... Uh, um, request and had all these things in his mind and all these things that he wanted to do. But if we're real to, um, this morning and if we can um, be honest with ourselves, there wasn't any real generosity involved because there wasn't any real money given. His promises were meaningless because there was nothing to back them up. And that is a truth that we constantly say throughout life. We tell somebody, Somebody says, I promise to do something to you, and they don't do it. Now their promises are meaningless to you. We all have good intentions. I know I know you guys well enough to say that you guys are good people and with a good mind and a good heart. But see, true generosity is not determined by the amount that we give, but it is determined by our hearts. This man wanted to wanted to shock the world with all of his intentions and everything that he wanted to do. But in reality, it was that he probably didn't do anything with the stuff that he did. And that's generosity right there. It's what can you do with what you have, not what would you do with what you don't have. You know, a man once said, um, he said, it's, it's not about what you, how much you give when you have a million dollars. It's how much you give when you have two, three bucks in your pocket. Sacrifice. Luke chapter um, 21, verse 1. You can say amen if you're there. Amen. It says, and he hooked up. I'm sorry. Well, God will hook you up. Amen. amen. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting into the two mites. Uh, verse 3. So he said, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she, out of her what? Poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. That's the idea right there. You know what the revelation Christian is with giving in your offering? It's that you want to give the attention of Jesus Christ. And here in our scripture, we see exactly what, what you need to do so that you can get God's attention regarding your finances. It's not how much you give when you have money. It's not, it's not about how much you give whenever you hook me up, God, with that good job that I've been praying for. But it is the heart of this widow that says, even though I am poor, I am willing to give. You know, the argument is made that you have these rich men that probably wouldn't give if they were in the position of this widow. Oh, no, I'm too poor. Let other people take care of this. Let, let the rich take care of it. Let, 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 let the people who make more than me take care of the weight. But the reality is, if we're going to do anything for God, 
regarding finances, or if we're going to allow God to open doors in our hearts or open doors in our finances, um, we're going to have to have this very heart right here to say, God, I don't make that much, but here's what I give you. It's two mites. This isn't a lot, but out of her poverty she gives, and that's what catches Jesus' attention. Is that out of poverty that you're able to give. So think about that. If out of if you can give out of poverty, you think God can trust you? That you that you're gonna to continue to bless the ministry and continue to bless the, um, the the kingdom of God and continue to be a good steward with your money. But if you have a guy who wouldn't give until he actually got a good job and now he's willing to give, and God says, you know what, this, there's, there's something missing there. It's not about how much you give. And I've always told this to the church because God has all the money, amen? God doesn't need your money. He, he just doesn't. You ever heard the term that says money doesn't grow on trees? It doesn't happen. Heaven has trees full of money. God doesn't need it. The Bible says that the, that the streets are of gold and, and you know what and, and, and all this stuff and God is the is the ruler of all the silver and all the gold, says says the Bible. But what God wants is your commitment and your obedience in finances. Amen. And that's what moves a church. It's not it's not it's not a bunch of people who are who are rich that's gonna allow us to do what we want to do as a vision, but it is a bunch of us regular folks that come together and say, God, out of my poverty, I'm willing to give. And God begins to bless us. I remember when we, uh, when I got saved in the Houston church, uh, it was a bunch of us, uh, just teenagers, just young people. None of us had cars. So everybody, all the adults had to go around picking all of us up. They had to go around and, and uh, call us and rearrange stuff and figure out where each people lives. And you know, I mean, it was, it was a bus route, man. It just picked, picked us all up. But then we got this revelation, and I remember speaking to uh, the boys that I grew up with, and I was like, you know, one day we're going to have a car, one day we're going to be married, one day we're going to have a house, one day we're going to have children one day, and all these different things in our mind. And it started with tithing off of my check when I was making $7.25. It started tithing whenever, uh, when I was working, uh, when I was a newlywed in my the company that I was working for was going down. I was making a hundred bucks a week. I remember right there, ten bucks in our offering. Saying, God, you know what? Here it is. I don't care if my wife threw a shoe at me. God, here it is. Here it is. I believe in you. God, and God begins to bless that. Because somewhere out of poverty, you say, you know what? I'm not going to forget about you. Even if it's rich or poor, remember vows, through richer or through poor. And somewhere you make a commitment, God, I'm going to serve you. Regardless of my income, regardless of where I'm at, God, I'm always going to commit to you. That's the heart that God wants. Amen? Amen. Praise God. We're going to pick up the Lord's tithes and offerings. Um, yeah, if you can help me. Help us um, this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this place. God, I pray that you will bless, God, um, your people. God, you see the sacrifice. Father, you see the, um, the hearts of your people here this morning, and I pray, Lord, multiplication upon each and every single one of them, God. God, we know that you love us, and I pray that you will open doors financially for your church, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9 this morning. We're going to be in verse 13. You can say amen when you're there. Nehemiah chapter 9. This is in the Old Testament. Amen. Minor amen. prophets. Amen. Praise God. Nehemiah chapter 9. We're going to be at verse 13. During the 17th century, Oliver Cromwell, Lord Protector of England, sentenced a soldier um, to be shot for his crimes. 
Um, this is not something that we used to in America, especially in 2019. This man sentenced one of the soldiers to be shot for his crimes. The execution was to take place at the ringing of the evening curfew bell, another thing we're not used to in America. However, the bell did not sound because the soldier's fiance had climbed into the belfry and clung to the great clapper of the bell to prevent it from striking. When she was summoned by Cromwell to, the, to account for her actions, she wept as she showed him her bruised and bleeding hands. Cromwell's heart was touched and he said, your lover shall live because of your sacrifice. Now think about this. He also says the curfew shall not ring tonight. Here you have this man committed a crime and he, there's a consequence and a punishment for it, well deserving, I'm sure. But then there is this fiance that loved this man so much that she was willing to climb. She was willing to go through everything and in her mind, you gotta understand, you know what, her fiance is gonna get killed and if, if I'm gonna stop this, then I'm probably gonna get killed also. But in her mind somewhere, she makes it up and says, I'm willing to go through whatever it takes because I love this man so much. And then standing in front of Cromwell, this man who has the authority to just um, execute anybody, all she does is just cries and shows her hands and says, and just shows her and says, you know what, this, I did it for him. And that touched his heart. Listen, this morning, church, we have a man named Jesus Christ who did the very same thing to us. I mean, if you guys are pretty guilty of, your, of the things that you've done. We're all guilty um, as charged, and one day we're going to stand in front of a living God. And it's going to be this very same thing right here as this story that as we stand in front of God and our life and decisions are being um, played out somewhere, we can... We're going to have to own up to our mistakes and own up to the things we've done. The Bible says that we're going to be held accountable to even the words that we've said. And somewhere we're going to have to say, you know what, yes, I'm guilty, but we're going to have a lover named Jesus Christ who's going to show his bleeding hands and say, I paid the price so that that person, so that you, so that I won't have to pay that price. See, what Jesus did for us, church, it's more than just religion. It's more than just some Christian, uh, just a, a, a Christmas story. But what Jesus did for us is a love story. He sacrificed his life so that we can live. This is who God is. This is the God that we serve. Nehemiah chapter 9, um, verse 13 speaks about this. You say amen when you're there. Amen. Verse 13 says, He came down also on Mount um, Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances, ordinances and true laws and statutes and commandments. Verse 14, You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst. And told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. Verse 17, they refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. I want to preach a sermon that I've entitled, Oh, How He Loves Us, this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this place. God, I pray that you will um, give me the words to speak. God, I do not come in my talents or abilities, Father, but I pray that you will anoint God the words uh, that come out of my mouth. God, penetrate the coldness of hearts this morning, God. God, give us a very clear revelation of your love, God. God, let us feel overwhelmed by your presence this morning, God. Father, let us not leave this place the same, God, but let us leave this place changed forever. Identified, God, in your love. 
that we can leave God with a self-worth like no other God, understanding that you are our Father and you paid a price for us, God. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said this morning, Amen. Amen. I want to start off um, with my first thought, and I want to lay a foundation of who we are this morning. See, in our illustration that I gave you guys about this fiancé that did this for this man, the reality is that this man is a criminal. Is that somewhere he committed a crime and he got his punishment, or he was going to get his punishment, he was going to get executed. This was something that, a consequence that he was going to get. But his fiance, regardless of who he was, has decided, you know what, I'm going to pay the price so that he can live. The reality, church, this morning, and I want you guys to completely understand this, is that as human beings, we are guilty of being a sinner. You have to understand that. Biggie understood that. What he said in that one song, born sinner, opposite of a winner. And somewhere you have to have this revelation in your mind and understanding that you know what, that outside of God, outside of Christianity, outside of my relationship with God, I, I am not in a good place. The human race, outside of God, when they can turn off the light. Outside of Christianity, the human race is in trouble. We can speak about violence. You know, violence causes more than 1.6 million deaths worldwide every year. Violence is one of the leading causes of death in all parts of the world for, per for persons ages 15 to 44. There is the famous statistic that still remains true every two, every two seconds. Somebody in this world passes away. And you can think in your mind, you count to two and somebody has died in this world. Violence makes this number very real. Speak about morality. In over one third of marriages, one or both partners admit to cheating. That's one third. It's a good chunk. 36% of men and women admit to having an affair with a co-worker. 17% of men and women admit to having an affair with a sister-in-law or brother-in-law. 14% of women admit that they have an affair to get back at a spouse. 10% of affairs begin online. 40% of the time online affairs turn into real-life affairs. Check this one out. When asked to prioritize what people consider to be immoral, adults put not recycling pretty near the bottom of their list. Teens and young adults, however, consider not recycling to be more immoral than viewing pornography. 22% of young adults aged 18 to 24 consider porn to be good for society. I don't, know how they, I don't know how they make their mind up on that one. 8% of the age group actually thinks it is a very good thing for society. And then in the very same study, nobody over age 50 thinks it's good for society. About worship. In our churches, most people don't see God anymore as God, but just a higher being. Agnostic is a trend now. They see him as just part of their... Their heritage is just it's part of the culture. My mom used to go to church, and so now I go. The church is constantly being, being attacked by, by the media in the world, and this is exactly what we see. And listen, I want to make a statement this morning. As the human race, we are in trouble. We've allowed ourselves to go far, far from morality and far from the standards that God has placed our sin is what started this mess from the get-go in our sinful nature is what keeps it going. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 says, Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others here, Apostle Paul, is reminding the Ephesians, you guys labored in sin also. Don't forget that we have this mindset and that outside of God, you'll fall back to default mode. This belief in God isn't something new, but it has been growing ever since. By this belief, I don't mean a statement by a person. 
but the way that a person is living. I remember reading a book a while, many years ago. It was entitled The Christian Atheist. And what it spoke about, it was a man or a woman who will go to church and, and um, was uh, identified himself as a Christian but would not obey the word of God. See, note that the problem in our scripture is the decision to not follow what has been revealed, revealed by God. Here in Nehemiah speaks about all the things that God did for, um, for, for the people of the, um, the Israelites. It says, you made known to them, in verse 14, you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded their precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. It says, you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst. It says, and told them to go and to possess the land. This is the God that we serve here, church. The God that opens door for us, that gives us breath every single morning. The one that allows us to interact with the world and gives us life and, and gives us um, health and gives us the ability to work for money and have good, uh, have good lives and have goals. This is the God that we serve. The one that gives, stretches out his hand when you're in a hole. When you're depressed, he's there to help you. When you're addicted, he's, set, he's setting you free. When you're running away from him, he's pursuing you. It's the God that we serve. But the problem is that many of us, we're like the people in verse 16 where it says, But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey. Many of us are like that. And there's plenty of people in churches who are, who are like that. And one of the issues is that they fail to realize how much God really loves them. You know, somewhere we need to identify ourselves in the love of God. Not in our mistakes. Not in our successes in life. But simply understanding that I am somebody in this world. I am somebody in the kingdom of God because God paid a price for me. In our illustration, we spoke about this woman who decides to uh, climb up and stop the bell from ringing so her, so her fiancé won't die. That added value to that man because at that point he was as good as dead. He was going to be executed. Somewhere he was going to be, uh, he was going to pay the consequence for his, um, his criminal actions. But this woman decides to pay the price and now this man has another identity. The identity, and that identity is redeemed. I wonder this morning, Christian, do you understand that? That somewhere in your life you have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, regardless of what you've done. That's the sh someone should have shouted for joy right there. Pastor, you mean that God loves me even though I'm crazy? <laughs> Pastor, you mean that, that God paid a price for me even if I have an attitude problem? That God paid a price for me even if I'm involved in drugs or alcohol or some type of sexual immorality or some type of gross sin? Listen, God says that he sent his only son to come and die for the world. Outside of God, we're nothing. We're bought with a price, says the Bible. And somewhere that price, you have to understand that that price was the blood of Jesus Christ. I'll move on to my second thought, and that is who God is and what he feels for us. Why don't you open your Bibles to the book of 1 John, chapter 4. 1 John, chapter 4. Not to be confused with the Gospel of John. 1 John is toward the end of the, end of the Bible. 1 John chapter 4. God is love. That's not a cliche this morning. That's not just something that we throw out because it makes us feel good. But it is who we are and how we identify ourselves as Christians. 1 John chapter 4. We start off with verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 8, he who does not love does not know God, for God is what? Love. Listen, even though we are sinners, God loves us. 
This is like when you love your spouse even though you don't, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Whenever he does something or she does something. God's love is demonstrated in his actions towards us during our sinful period. Our Bible says that God loved us even when we were sinners. The only way you're going to realize that is going to have to be through a relationship with Christ. Christian, this morning, it's not enough to just hear me say it. It's not enough just to say, oh, the preacher um, in that church says that God loves me, so that's what I'm going to believe in. Listen, there's a place to act on the hearing of the Word of God, but when you're, when you're talking about the love of God, you're going to have to experience it through relationship. Again, it's the same thing in a marriage. It's not enough for a person to say, I love you. Show me. Show me the commitment. Show me that you're, you're going to be with me when things get hard. Show me that whenever there's no money, you still love me. Amen? Amen. Show me that whenever uh, I'm not, that I don't look the way I used to look, that you're still committed to me. Show me. It's through experiencing. It's through a relationship. It's, it's going through different things. I was, uh, I was reading a book. It's called Every Man's Battle. It's a, it's a very good book for... Um, just, just single people. If you know a single um, man, it, it, it speaks about the battle of the mind of a man when it comes down to lust and all these different um, areas. And it speaks about friendship. And it says a true friend overcomes things. And many times, a true friend, if you think about it, like your best friends, you've been through some things with them. And, they, and so what happens is you go through, every relationship has this test. It has this this uh, this time where, where trials come and and uh, concerning how it, it finishes or how you react to them or if you overcome it with them or not, it dictates who that friend is going to be in your life. Some of you guys have friends that you went through something hard with them and they weren't there for you, so now they're just somebody I know. Amen? Amen. But then you have that one friend that stuck it up with you and was there with you. Nobody else was. I forgot who I was telling us. I think it was a co-worker, I was telling them, listen, a brother in church, is, is many times that relationship is a lot bigger um, than your family because your family, you didn't get to choose them. <laughs> Some of you guys, you have a sister, you're like, I, I, ain't, I ain't choose her. <laughs> I have a brother, you, you think it's yourself, you know what, I love my brother, but if I get to choose him, man, I wouldn't have chosen But a friend. You get to choose who your friends are. And you say, you know what, I'm willing to commit myself in our friendship, friend, this word friend, and I'm kind of just going a little bit away from my summary, but this word friend gets thrown around so much. Oh, you're my friend, and I know you add, you know, just prefixes to it. Oh, you're my Facebook friend, you're my Instagram friend, or you're my online and all that stuff. And listen, friend, this word friend is, is very, it's, it's a lot more intimate than what people think. You don't just call anybody your friend. It's those people who stick it out with you. You have to know God through relationship. This is the only effective way to survive life is, is to know God by experiencing life with them. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 13. We're going to consider the way God describes King David. Acts chapter 13 verse 22. Amen. Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Verse 22, and when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my commandments. Right? That's what it says. Does it say amen after religion? Does it say amen after money? A man who gave me a lot of money. A man who didn't miss church. That's what it says, right? The son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. In other words, the way God describes King David is a man who cared about what I said. You know, when you have somebody that's after your heart, I'm preaching to women, right? <laughs> when you have a man that's after your heart, somewhere he begins to care about the things that you care about. He begins to uh, he begins to want to do the things that you want to do. The simple fact that you know what I'm just I'm just gonna be with you. 
He begins to study. He begins to uh, analyze the things that, that you like. And somewhere he makes decisions saying, I'm going to get involved in these things because I want to win her heart. I want her to fall in love with me. I want a relationship where we love each other. And somewhere that man begins to make decisions concerning your heart. And it goes vice versa. And listen, that is a relationship with God also. Somewhere you begin to seek his word. To begin to seek to find out who God is and what his heart is and what he cares about and what intrigues him and what he is all about. And somewhere you begin to chase his heart and you begin to do his will because you love him. It has to be through love because if it's not through love, there will always come a point where you say, I cannot do that. I won't do that because there's no love. It was just religion. You know, when I was in Galveston, when I pioneered my wife, one of the things that, uh, one of the first jobs I had was cleaning carpet. And I went to this um, elderly couple's house, and uh, this man, he, he was just talking to me, you know, how older people are, and they just talk. And I was, I was just there, and he's, he's, he, um, he mentioned his wife, and I was like, and she wasn't there, and we began to talk, and he mentioned the fact that he's been married for 60-something years. And I was like, wow, that is awesome. So I asked him, I was like, how'd you do it? <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like a funny moment, because I was just like, I stopped the vacuum, you know, stopped everything. I was like, how'd you do it? And he's, you know, he looks around and goes, just say I'm sorry. <laughs> like, just say I'm sorry. Just say I'm sorry. And, and what, he, what, what he meant was that don't let little things stop you. If you love her, you're going to be able to overcome anything. You'll do anything. You know, you'll do whatever it takes. And this is the idea of your heart, your relationship with God, is that if there is love, man, you need to let nothing stop you. This is what Apostle Paul says. Nothing separates me from the love of God. He says no height, no death, no angel, no demon. He says nothing separates me from the love of God. Let's open our Bibles to the book of John, chapter 4. This is the Gospel of John, John chapter 4. And you verse 23. You can say amen when you're there. Mm -hmm. Verse 23 says, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. I want to define worship. I want to say what worship is not. Worship is not the slow song that the choir sings. Worship is not the amount you place in the offering baskets. Worship is not volunteering in children's church. Worship is not just cleaning the church. Worship isn't singing the songs as good as you can. And some all this plays a part of it. Don't get me wrong. But what true worship is, in other words, it is defined by the priority we place on who God is in our lives and where God is on our list of priorities. True worship is a matter of the heart expressed through a lifestyle of holiness. True worship is that slow song you sing because God is God. True worship is the amount you place in the offering basket because God is God, regardless of your income. God, I'm giving to you this because you are a priority in my life. True worship is volunteering in church, not because of you want some type of fame or you want people to see how good you are, but it is volunteering because God is God. Can we worship God because He's God this morning? Can we serve God? Can we give Him our all simply because He's God? Not because we can at this moment. Not because I am emotionally stirred at this moment. But every single day of my life, I will give Him my all because you are God. And see, if you have an understanding that God is that Father that loves you. That Father that, that, that you, you know what, we, we all have fathers. And, we, and, so, and a lot of us, our earthly fathers have failed us. You know, I can speak about my dad, and I love him so much to this day, but somewhere he wasn't, I'm reading this book, it's called Point Man, which I encourage all of you guys to read it. Um, it is, it is a, it's, a, it's about um, um, a leader, how a man should act in his family, and it speaks about how one of the effects, there's two 
dangers in our society. One is absent dads, and one is psychologically absent dads. It's whenever a, a man is present, but he's not. And I'm reading this, and I, and I begin to think to myself that I went through so many things because of the stuff that my dad was there present and gave me a shelter and a place to live and provided so much, and I love him, but somewhere he wasn't the father that I exactly needed. But listen, oh, listen, this morning we have a God in heaven and a father that he is perfect for us. And he knows exactly what we need. And the Bible says that he is a father to the, to the orphan. He's a father and he's there and he loves you and he cares about you. Can I tell you this morning, he cares about you. He cares about those small things in your life, the stuff that vexes you. Come on, I mean, we have some small things that vexes us. Us, you guys. <laughs> we have some things that, you know what, that, that you, you say to your husband or you say to somebody and they're like, they don't necessarily care. Can I tell you, God cares about those things. He's for us. He's with us. He loves us. He wants the best for us. Again, I read this on Wednesday, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That is the Father we have in heaven. That is the Father that we have in heaven. He's not against us, but he loves us. I want to close on my third point it's in this morning, and that is our last hope is God's love for us. We're in a bad spot, church. As human beings, we're in a bad spot, and somewhere we need God to help us. And the last hope that we have is the love of God. Is that we can be identified. I'm preaching a sermon tonight um, out of Matthew, and I'm speaking about a spiritual attack on children. Um, I just felt stirred by God, not only to for parents to understand this, but also um, for just grown-ups to understand that children are being are being attacked. And one of those ways is self-worth or self-identity. And what they try to do is they try to twist up sexuality, and and you and, I, and you can go on so many of that. But at the end of the day, the agenda is that they can't find themselves in God. That somewhere they can't, they can't, they can't be, uh, they, they, they can't find the, the love that the Father has for them because somewhere they think it's, it's not real. Church, our last hope is the love of God. Open your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8, verse 39. You know, there was a woman that asked a man on the radio, he said, do you think God minds it when we bring to him little things in prayer? That's, that's totally a woman question. Do you think that God minds, that he minds it when we bring to him little things in prayer? And the man on the radio answered, do you think anything we go through is actually big in the eyes of God? <laughs> It's God. Romans chapter 8, verse 39. It says, Nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember that for the rest of your life, that there is nothing that's going to separate you from the love of God. God will love you for the rest of your life. This is the heart of God. He, he is always ready to love. In our scripture, our main scripture, Nehemiah um, chapter 9, verse uh, 17, they refused to obey and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks and in their rebellion they appointed leaders to return to their bondage. In other words, they go back to where they're from, back to their backsliding ways and back to their sinful ways. But it says... But you are God, says Nehemiah. But you are God because you are ready to pardon. In other words, he's at, he's at a place where he says, I know who you guys are. And I'm ready to forgive you guys. He is gracious and merciful, says, the, uh, says in Nehemiah verse uh, 17. It says, slow to anger. Aren't you glad that God is slow to anger? Amen. That he's not impulsive like we are. 
That he's not, he's not revengeful like we are. He's not, he doesn't act out of his emotions like we do. He's slow to anger, abundant in kindness. And he says, and did not forsake them. Think about that. After everything that they did, God said, I will not forsake you. I will still try to love you. I will still bring you to the destiny that you have. Regardless of what you've been through, there is still a place for you in my table. I guess what we have to do this morning is redefine what love is. What exactly is love? Because the world says that love is about how someone makes them feel or how they feel about someone else. See, but God says it a little bit different. God says love is about how you behave and treat others. It is a commitment and not just about feelings. Because if we're honest with ourselves, those of you guys that have been married or have been in relationships before, you understand that you love, but there's days where that love seems far. There's days where, where it seems thin and it seems like you're, you're just running out of that, that, that resource. It doesn't seem like love is a renewable resource, but somewhere God says you make the commitment and that's what shows where the love is. Think about when Jesus says, love your enemy. You think it really means go and hug him? Go give him a big fat kiss. No. In other words, make a commitment to treat them different. Don't treat them like your enemy. Pray for them. Treat them, in a diff- treat them the way you would treat somebody that's not your enemy. That's love. Love is what Jesus did for us on that cross. It's a commitment. He said, you know what? I've, I know these people and they've rejected me all their life. But I'm still willing to die for them. That's love. Or I want you to turn to your neighbor this morning and tell them you have to let God love you. You have to let God love you. You know what the issue is? Is we've been through so many things. We've been through so many relationships where our hearts have been broken. We've been through so so many different things in life where people have betrayed us. And what happens is that we begin to treat God like those people. And we think somewhere, we think that God isn't going to be able to do what he said he was going to do with our hearts. And we're scared to give him our trust in our hearts. I was speaking about this a few days ago with some of, um, some of the men, I think, if I remember right. And I spoke about women who have issues with their fathers. A lot of times they'll, they'll have an image of God like their father. And they'll begin to correlate them. And they won't give fully their heart to God because... The Bible describes him as a father, but my earthly father was a jerk. But my earthly father wasn't there. And so you begin to close some things and you begin to not allow God to love you. And so as Christians, we have to drop those things. We have to drop those walls and become as vulnerable. And vulnerability is scary. Can I get one witness? Vulnerability is one of the scariest things because you're saying, you know what, God, here I am. Just as, just take me as I am. This is me. I'm dirty. I'm disgusting. I have all these issues. God, just take me. But without vulnerability, they can't, there can't be trust. And without trust, it's very hard to love. See, this morning, you can decide not to let him love you. You can decide to reject his love after what he has done for us and say, you know what, I, I, don't, I do not want that. That's part of the relationship. You know, my wife and I, we got married um, six and a half years ago, 2012, almost seven years. Um, you know, obviously the greatest decision that I've, that I've made in my life apart from being saved. Um, but somewhere, you know, the, the, what makes the relationship a relationship is there's two faces to it. One is that we committed ourselves to it. We said, you know what, we're going to love each other regardless of um, what, what we go through. We're going to love each other. But the other part of the relationship is that we're not going to get with anybody else. <laughs> That's part of commitment. We begin to say, you know what, I reserve myself to you. Who is God in your life? See, my wife, she is the, she's my best friend. She's the single most important human being in my life. This goes, she's more important than my mom, amen? (laughs) She's more important than my sisters. This is who my wife is. And this is why marriage is one of the most 
uh, perfect illustrations that you can you can speak about when it comes down to your relationship with God. Who is God to you? Is he a priority or is he the priority? And somewhere you're going to have to allow God to get involved in your life. See, most people don't want to give up what it takes to get what they want from God. If you want everything from God, you have to give up everything. Many people see the lives of Christians, the lives of like their pastors and, and, and the, the leaders in church, and they say, I want that. Well, if you want that, you got to do what they do. There's no shortcuts in, in, in the kingdom of God. I know that you cheated your way through high school, but it doesn't work like that in, in the kingdom of God. It just doesn't. No shortcuts. God, the Bible says that he keeps good books. Keeps good records. And somewhere you have to get involved in the things of God. You want to experience God's love? Then chase his heart. Do the things that he cares about. Begin to try to love him. Try, try to fall in love with them and get him to fall in love with you. Obviously, he already loves you, but somewhere there's got to be that connection right there. I say this all the time. Oswald Chambers um, says this. He says, beware of serving God simply out of the benefit of the forgiveness of sin. He says, just, just, there's a danger that you will serve God simply because of his benefit. See, what this world needs is to understand that God is just trying to help us, not to limit us. Many people say Christianity, oh, they just they want to put limits on you and you gotta you're gonna have to dress like a nun. You know, because you, you can't do anything, you know, if you're a Christian. No, that's not what God listen, living in sin is slavery. Because you're you're enslaved to your desires and you're enslaved to all the influences of this world. And listen, don't say you're not. And don't say sinners aren't because they are. This is why reality TV shows huge. This is why people, this is why all these social stuff and medias and all, and all this stuff that Hollywood gets, you know, these people dress like them, they act like them. You know, what, what was that one thing that um, one of the Kardashians did something to her lips and, and then these girls will put like their lips in cups and, and suck it just so she can have, they can have their lips. I mean, think about that stuff, like somewhere in their minds, they're just, they're, they're enslaved to this. You're going to tell me that's, that's freedom? Listen, the most free I've been is in the, in the will of God to do whatever I want for God. Right. To, do the, to do whatever I want and not, be in, uh, not to be concerned with what the world has to say about it. To serve God with my wife and, and my family and not be concerned about what anybody else says. Christianity is not about limits, but it is a true freedom. Freedom to live in love, joy, and peace. Without the threat of being lost by situations that life brings. It's that whole picture of Adam and Eve in the, in the garden where God says you can have everything except this tree. See, worldly people, sinners, or even a whole radical left view will say, that's a limit. They'll say, oh no, they're trying to control you. It's not. He's making a relationship. He says, if you choose me, you can have everything you want. But if you choose that, you'll be enslaved to that. John chapter 8, verse 34 through 36, Jesus answered them, Moses, surely I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in his house forever, but a son, a son, we're sons and daughters of God, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. In other words, he says, when you meet Jesus Christ, you meet true freedom. When you're a sin, you're enslaved to it. My question to you this morning, and I close with this, is will you allow God to love you? Will you allow God to just impose in your heart, start cleaning some things up and say, listen, I, I, I want to take place in your heart. Can you let him this morning? Forget about all the things you've been through. Listen, some of that stuff is legit, I understand. And I understand you might put walls up with people, but listen, not with God. Just drop those walls down and be as vulnerable as you can with God. Allow God to love you. He paid a price for you. He wants to do something in your heart, but you're going to have to allow him to do it. Forget the betrayals of people. 
Don't rationalize God. Don't make him a human being. He's not. He's the perfect father. He knows exactly what he needs to do with your heart. Close with this. You know, it was amazing. I remember um, um, there was a drama skit in, in Houston, and there was this, um, it was Kathy Lundy, I remember her. She, um, she, she will have this, um, she had this paper heart, and they, she wouldn't say anything, but they put like background music. It's like, doo, 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 and she's just walking by, you know, she's just, she has a paper heart. She goes, ah, oh, my heart. And then she goes, doo, 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 and she just, <laughs> she, she walks by, and then this thug comes in the picture and begins to flirt with her. And she, you know, she's acting all innocent, but eventually she gives in to this thug. And then what she does is that she grabs her the paper heart in the skin. She grabs her heart and gives it to him. And then he grabs it and he goes, he crumbles it up, starts playing soccer with it, and begins to bring her, brings the, the friends, his friends, and they start playing monkey in the middle with her heart. And somewhere she's trying to get it back. She's, she gets it, and then they finally just rip it in pieces, just, just give it back to her. And then she now she's on the floor. She goes, my heart. My heart. And then Jesus comes. Jesus comes in the mix and she has a hard time, you know, because her heart's in pieces. It's just, Jesus comes and asks for the heart and she's there and she's just like, she doesn't know what to do and it's in pieces. But eventually she picks them all up and gives the broken heart to Jesus. And Jesus had a new heart to give. The Bible says that God gives us a new heart. And Jesus gave her a new heart. And, and gave it to her, and now she's walking around. <laughs> ah, my heart. You know, some of us, we have our hearts are in pieces. Some of us, we gotta just put them all together and say, God, here's what I have. The Bible says, He'll take you as you are, and if you allow Him to love you, if you allow Him to love you, man, He'll give you a new heart. He'll give you a new heart. Can I get a read? You've just listened to the Potter's House Tri-Cities Podcast located here in Pasco, Washington. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you come back for more.